Well, I got my title to the night's lesson from that song, so that's why I asked Michael to sing it. My title says, Show Us Your Glory. So we're going to talk about glory of God tonight. We're going to talk about unveiling your eyes. That verse in there says, Show Us Your Glory, God. Unveil our eyes. So we're going to talk about veils tonight when we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And when you think of veils, think of uh, whatever might separate you from God. Whatever might separate you or keep you from experiencing what God has intended for your life. And speaking of experiencing God, I was uh, reading this past uh, week a, uh, a devotional from a guy named Jim Dennison. I don't know if you know Jim, but he is an author and a pastor, and he was writing about uh, a recent, his ninth trip to Cuba on a mission trip. I've got a lot of friends that have ministered in Cuba, so I was interested in what he had to say. And of course, I don't know how many people here have ever met Gilberto Corriera, who is our Espanol pastor. He's from Cuba, and uh, he's got a great story. If you, if you don't know the story, I can give him a call, send him an email. He, he came over here from Cuba as a guest of Dr. Larry Taylor, our headmaster at PCA. And he was over here, and he was working down in Main Street as a chef because he couldn't find a job. He didn't speak a whole lot of English. And one day he was talking to one of our pastors, Joe Perry, on staff. And Joe found out his background and he had been a pastor in Cuba for eight years. And he said, well, you're being underutilized here at Prestonwood and cooking down in Main Street. Not that he wasn't doing a good thing by serving. So they pulled him out from behind the kitchen. And at the time, Espanol, our Espanol campus had about 40 to 50 people. And they put him in charge. And today we got about 1,100 Okay, so, yeah, that's right. In fact, they just started a new campus, uh, I think maybe just this past week. I, was, I called Gilberto yesterday. In fact, where's my phone? He sent me a, a text to explain what had happened. This is a, uh, a, a great story, really. He says, Scott, the, the Louisville Espanol first began with a couple who dedicated their lives to Christ, when David Shivers and a group from Prestonwood went and served in Northwood Trailer Park in Louisville. So take note, that started by a Bible fellowship class that adopted a community. He said, Mr. and Ms. Flores, who were the couple that got saved on that first outreach, later became the first to open up their homes to their neighbors. So then they started meeting in this home over and over again. He said, in March of 2016, Christian Community Action in Louisville opened their doors for us to meet. We began to meet every Sunday, and attendance began to grow from 50 people to a consistent 90 or 100. This past Easter Sunday, Louisville Espanol was officially launched as an Espanol campus of Prestonwood Baptist Church. We celebrated with 190 in attendance. How good is that? So I've always been fascinated and had an interest in Cuba. I came up with some interesting facts. This doesn't have a whole lot to do with Chapter 3, but it was funny and interesting to me. So... Uh, until recently, you could not import cars into Cuba, uh, you know. And so if you go there, every car is from the 1950s, which kind of makes it look cool, right? They've got 200 to 250 beaches in Cuba, but it's smaller than Pennsylvania. That sounds like my kind of place, really. Has the highest literacy rate in the world, though, 99.8%. They have a native leaping crocodile. If you don't think crocodiles are terrifying enough, Look at a leaping one. Blowing your nose in public is considered rude. This would be no place for me. I'd be in trouble. 
I've got the allergies that Jared has. Castro said he loved John Lennon so much that he had a statue made of him, but people kept stealing the glasses off of the statue. So they put a guard next to the statue to watch it all the time. I thought that was pretty funny. John F. Kennedy, before he ordered the embargo, took time to order 1,200 Cuban cigars. And it said when Castro seized power, he outlawed the game of Monopoly. Didn't want people to learn about business, I guess. It's only snowed once in Cuba in 1857. Only 5% of people in Cuba have access to an open, uncensored Internet. Everything you say or do is watched. And less than 10% of the country are evangelical Christians. And Jim, when he was writing about his trip, he said, and I'm just going to read a little bit of it, he says, it was so clear to see the contrast between our two countries, the U.S. and Cuba. He says it was stark. He says, we worship in air conditioning. I'm not aware of a single air-conditioned sanctuary in all of Cuba. Our pastors and leaders are well compensated here in the U.S. A typical pastor in Cuba makes a dollar a day. We have complete freedom to say whatever we feel the Lord wants us to say. The typical Cuban pastor knows that they are probably a Communist Party members in their congregation reporting everything they say back to the government. He says, our worship services can be perfunctory and obligatory. Their services last three hours, and some of them are the most passionate, celebratory experiences you'll ever encounter. Our ministry commitments can be convenient and routine. The Cuban Christians I know are among the most sacrificial and faithful followers of Jesus on earth. And then I asked Alberto, Hilberto, I said, Hilberto, I, I, I sent this to him. I said, would you agree with this? And he said, he said, Scott, after being in both places here and there, yes, I agree 100%. He said, here we have so many distractions, so many different goals in life that are competing with God's time and place in our life. So those distractions, okay, that's code word for veils. All right, tonight in chapter 3, when Paul's talking about veils, he's really talking about the Old Testament veil, and we're going to talk about that, a comparison of the Old Testament to the New Testament, the new covenant of Christ. But if you think about it, veils really come in all shapes and sizes, don't they? We have lots of veils in our lives here in the U.S. that keep us from the glory of God. I'm sure we can all agree on that. So let's take a look and see what Paul says in this chapter 3 about, about the glory of God and about veils maybe in our lives. I'll start reading there in verse 1 of chapter 3. It says, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letters of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. So this is kind of a bonus. This is not part of the veil lesson for tonight, but that is a powerful two verses right there. So what he's saying basically is this. He's saying, listen, do we need to talk about ourselves or pat ourselves on the back? Or do we need to get you to talk about us, a letter of recommendation, maybe pat us on the back, tell us how good of a Christian we are? Do I need to stand up and say, hey, I've been all over the world ministering for Christ? He says, no, 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 that's not what I have to do. My testimony, my love of Jesus is written on you, in your hearts, in your lives. It's just a good question, a good reminder, isn't it? Is Are, are people around you coming to Christ and growing and are you pointing people to Christ? I mean, if you look at those in your lives, your friends, your family, your coworkers, the people you hang out with, if somebody looked at them, what, 
could they say about your life? Would they be able to look at them and say, hey, boy, that guy they're hanging out with, that girl they're hanging out with over there, they must be a Christian because I see how it's changing them. That's really what he's saying here. That's a great reminder for all of us. If, if we're living our life, not only should we be growing, but those around us. You want to be pulled on the toward God and not away, right? And then there in verse 3, this is kind of where he starts talking about this comparison, if you will, to the Old Testament covenant and to the New Covenant. He said, And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone. He's referring to the tablets that Moses brought down from Mount Sinai. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. He's just talking about the story of Christ. Who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. It's a great verses here talking about a comparison of what the Old Testament. When he's talking about the letter kills, he's talking about the law. You know, remember he's talking to Jews that have been living under the law and they're used to you know, the, the Jewish culture, and he's trying to enlighten them a little bit about the new covenant. And it's probably a good place to just stop for a second and do a little refresher. And, you know, I, I taught this lesson months ago, uh, maybe even a year ago now, about the new covenant. And I was surprised uh, the week leading up, I went around and I asked people of all walks of life, from non-Christians to pastors, how would you define the new covenant? And I was just amazed really at the answers uh, that people gave so if i asked that question tonight how would you define the new covenant what would somebody say the blood i like that the blood that's good i'm sorry the grace and mercy of god sorry the new agreement promise i like that the promise you know, most people that I ask, honestly, their answer was, it's grace by faith. You're saved by grace through faith. That was what most people's answer is. But if you look at the Bible, the great thing about the Bible is one complete story. You know, there's not an Old Testament and a New Testament that bifurcates it where there's two different gods. Some people may think that way. Actually, it's wrong, right? There's just one complete story that's being told. From the beginning of time, you're always saved by God's grace through your faith. It's always been about that, right? But it was always temporary. So if I had to give you a definition, my answer would be the fulfillment of God's promise. There's that word. To forever redeem us and reconcile us to God. Because if you remember back in the Old, Co- Old Testament, under the Old Covenant of the law, you couldn't access God, right? You couldn't get to Him. Only in the temple, behind the veil, could the, in the Holy of Holies, okay, could the priest go. The high priest could go back there and pray on your behalf, but you couldn't have a relationship. This is the fulfillment of what God wanted from the beginning, before sin entered the world. So it's the, it's the fulfillment of that promise. It's one complete story. He makes permanent what was temporary. It's just the, if, you, if you look at it, it doesn't say that Jesus what, replaced the law. What does it say? He fulfilled the law. So that's what the new covenant is about. 
It's about Christ doing for us what we could have never done for ourselves. And then if you start there in verse 7, he's going to start talking now. He's going to start telling you about why you should be excited, how good this is. If you thought the old covenant was good, you're going to love the new covenant, basically. It says, now if the minister of death carved in letters of stone, those Ten Commandments, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of his glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. He's saying, listen, man, if you thought the way you've been living and your view of of life living under the old covenant, if you thought that was good, get ready. New covenant is going to knock your socks off. All right, this is going to be way, way, way better. And then if you keep going there, he says, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. If I had more time, I could talk a lot about that verse. Not like Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. I mean, remember, part of this is prophecy, right? That the Bible tells us in the Old Testament that, that they will not be able to see, that the Israelites and the Jewish nation will not be able to see. And that's what he's talking about here. He says, but their minds were hardened. He's, even to this day, when we talk about it, the veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yet to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over your hearts. It's just you're still living under this Old Testament. This, it's about you. And I'm here to tell you it's not about you. It's about Christ. And only Christ can lift that veil from your life. That's what his message is. And, you know, I was thinking about that this week. I was, one of the cool things you get to do as a deacon is you get to call new members that join the church. So I was making new member calls this week, and I got this one lady who just had an amazing testimony. She'd been here for a while. She's married to a, a, uh, her husband's from Iran. And it sounds like they have a beautiful marriage, and she's not been trying to force her Christianity on him, uh, described him as a good man, but you can tell she's full of, of love for Jesus. And she had been praying for him and praying for him and praying for him, you know. And if you know that culture, just a really hard heart especially as it relates to Jesus, just hard, you know, in terms of accepting that he is the true son of God. Well, she told me that uh, on Saturday night of Easter weekend, when they had the invitation, he stood, accepted Christ. God removed that veil through Christ, amen? That's what salvation is all about. It's being justified, being made right because of what Christ did. That's what... His message here is there's really no other way. And then in verse 16, he says, But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So what happens whenever you turn to the Lord and the veil is removed? It's freedom. 
He's like, listen, you guys are still living under all the condemnation that went uh, with, with the old covenant. But in the new covenant, when Christ lifts the veil, you can live in freedom, freedom from condemnation and from sin and from all the bad things. I love it when we were talking about the past and just letting go of everything. You know, the Bible says that God remembers your sins no more. That's what he's saying here. When that veil is removed, you get freedom from all of that, freedom from your past, freedom from the sin, freedom from all of that. And what else do you get? He, he says it there at the end. He says that with unveiled face, beholding the glory of God, you're being transformed. You're being changed. All right? Your life is being changed. The more that you see the glory of God, the more that you experience God, the more your life changes. It's called sanctification. We've talked about sanctification a lot, right? It's a lifelong process with the power of the Holy Spirit to become more like Christ. And I would add to that, start experiencing more freedom in your life. Now, the counter to that, the counter to that really is, if you're not becoming more and more like Christ, if you're not experiencing God and, and that freedom in your life, you know, maybe there's something in the way. Maybe you got some veil that's standing between you and God and what he intended for your life. You know, maybe there's something that's, that's separating you. Here it was their past. You know, maybe your past is separating you. I mean, remember too, I think it's always important to remember that Paul is talking to a church. Right? He's talking to a church. These aren't necessarily unbelievers. These are people that are part of the church in Corinth. We've got to believe that a lot of them hopefully are believers. They wouldn't be in the church under this teaching. Okay, so he's saying to them, listen, even if you're here in this class in that worship center, okay, if you're not becoming more and more and more like Christ, if you're not acting like Christians, then you may have a veil in your life. There's something that's keeping you from the glory of God. I mean, that happens in there too probably happens in here right in that day it was all about the law you know as they'd come out of the law I mean, these, the jewish people had been under the law for a long time it's just all they knew so this was just brand new for them but for us okay we can probably talk about a lot of different veils maybe it's not the same ones right maybe sometimes the veils in our life are the result of bad things sometimes happens right i mean a lot of times bad things will push you toward god you know, a lot of times when you get to the bottom, that's you know, when you reach out to God. Unfortunately, it takes sometimes tragedy in someone's life. But sometimes you can get to the point where that tragedy maybe turns to bitterness, right? Or anger in your life, unforgiveness, hardening of your heart. And when that happens, those bad things in the life that may have pointed you initially to Christ, they could easily become veils, becomes sin. Any sin in your life is going to be a veil. It's going to keep you from God. It's going to keep you from the glory of God. It's not going to make you less saved, but it's going to maybe keep you from experiencing all that God has intended for you. You know, Jared was talking about that tonight, about God exposing when you get right with God and you open up and you be honest. Sometimes he's got to deal with things in your life. You know, a lot of times veils, though, are from good things, aren't they? I mean, especially in the U.S., we got all kinds of good things that become veils. Could be family, could be friends, could be sports, could be all kinds of things. It, 
I could make a long list and we could write a bunch of things on the board because we live really in a country that's just blessed and somewhat burdened by abundance. You know, we're just burdened by abundance. We just have too much sometimes, don't we? I remember, I've told this before, but I'll just, it's one of the things that have just always stuck with me. And I, I was riding in a, in a car in D.C. and the gentleman up front that was driving happened to be a Baptist preacher. And I'll just never forget, we were talking about all the different things that we were looking at as we were driving into the capital area. And he said, well, you just never can forget that the devil is in the blessing business also. Sometimes he can just give you things to keep you where he wants you. I mean, if you're someone that loves the world and money, man, if I were Satan, that's a, I'd just pile it on. Make them rich. They'll never leave, right? Makes you have a, a veil in your life, you know? I guess the people in Cuba probably don't have this problem, right? They're not blessed by abundance and comfort and convenience. You know, they have a clearer, they have a clearer view of things because of this. You know, they're not... They're not in an air-conditioned uh, uh, sanctuary, right? They're not in churches that look sometimes too much like country clubs. They're not in that, are they? No, no, they're in three-hour worship services. I mean, can you imagine what would happen if we turned off the air conditioning in July in Dallas, and we said, listen, we're going to have three and a half hours of service. You think anybody's going to be there? I'm guessing that place will be empty. We'll have like six people there. And they'll all be on staff because pastor made them come. You got to edit that out of the podcast. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's true though, isn't it? I mean, we're just too blessed by abundance. And maybe if we had a clearer view... Maybe if we had less veils in our life and we could really, really see the glory of God, we would be running to that sanctuary for as long as you wanted to keep me there, right? No matter the circumstances, because you would see the glory of God in, his li- in your life. It would just change you. That's what it does. It changes you. So we know we need it. We know we need a clearer view. We know we need to get rid of them, but how do we do it, right? We always need to think about, you know, the how or the application of these chapters. And how do we do it? I'd say two things. First, only through Christ. Okay, that's what he said in here. Only through Christ is it taken away. That was Paul's message. You cannot do it alone. You need both justifying grace. That's when you're saved, when you accept, when you're redeemed, rescued. You need justifying faith and you need sanctifying grace as well. Okay, you need them both. Justifying grace and sanctifying grace. The same grace that saves you has to sustain you, right? You can't do it by yourself. But okay, there's a second one, though. You do play a part, right? You do play a part in both of those. In the salvation, justification side, right? It requires your faith. You've got to turn from the, the bad stuff and turn to God, right? It requires your faith. Well, the sanctification it requires faith, but it also, you know what it also requires? Obedience. It requires obedience. That's what he's talking about here in verse 16 when he says you've got to turn to the Lord. That's what he's talking about. You've got to be obedient. If you're running from him, okay, you're never going to see him. If you've got your back to him, you're not going to see him. That's what he's talking about there. And I think it's so funny to me, really, that in the New Covenant, 
we don't like to talk about obedience. We love to talk about grace, right? We love to talk about grace. In fact, we love to talk about grace so much that we've just married it with legalism, right? Which is a made-up concept, by the way, for a Christian, right? Because if you truly believe and have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you will never be guilty of legalism, ever. Just remember that, because obedience is not legalism. Legalism is a heart condition. It's believing that what you do gets you to God. If you already believe that you get to God because of what Christ did, your obedience can never be legalism. It's a made-up concept by the church to give you an out, an excuse. Anytime you want to do something that isn't necessarily in line with God's scripture, let me tell you the easiest thing I hear all the time. Well, I, don't be legalistic, Scott. Don't be legalistic. Don't tell me I got to be at church. That's legalist. I can stay home. Don't tell me I got to be at Bible fellowship. I don't need community. That's legalism. No, not legalism. We made that up. Gave ourselves an excuse. It's I want to pray about it excuse. It's the other one. Those are two great Christian excuses. Never forget that. The bottom line, if you're a Christian and are not growing, maybe you're not doing your part. Not turning to God. Not living an obedient life. It's hard to hear sometimes, isn't it? But it's true. You got to obey. Spiritual discipline. Prayer. Bible study. Requires sacrifice. Sacrifice. Willing to follow Christ no matter the cost. That's hard. But you want to experience God, see the glory of God, get rid of some veils, that's what you got to do. And you also got to want it. You got to want it. That's kind of what repentance is all about, isn't it? Get to the point where you want God more than you want the other stuff. Some people don't. They like hanging on to it. Maybe I don't want to give up my friends. You know, I don't want to give up the drink ever so often. I only get drunk two or three times a month. It's not a big deal, Scott. You know, I was reading an article the other day where in India, they, uh, one community outlawed uh, liquor and uh, all drinking. And as soon as they did, like the crime rate went down, the family nucleus got better, the, uh, all the um, domestic violence went down. They're trying to do it across more communities. But sometimes you don't want to give that up. <laughs> you know, I get it. You don't want to give it up. Don't want to give up those things that you really enjoy sometimes. You hold on for dear life. Some people will. They'll never give them up. But let me tell you two good things. Here's the cool part. What Paul says there. If you see the glory of God, okay, if you really experience God, you won't care about all that other stuff. It won't matter to you. It'll be so easy to leave it in the rearview mirror. Because you'll know and you'll see the glory of God. He says it there in verse 10. Look at it. It says, indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all. What you thought was good, what you thought was enjoyable, has nothing because of the glory that surpasses it. Another good thing to remember. The more you want it, the more you're going to have it. What does he say in verse 18? All with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. I love that verse. <laughs> from one degree of glory to the another. There's not a lot of commentary on that, so I just love to think about it, what it could mean. More and more becoming like Christ, getting closer every day to perfection when you go to heaven. It's a great, it's a great thing to think about. It's just like grace upon grace, isn't it? It just builds and builds and builds. And this is why the new covenant is so significant. You know, we don't have to, to go through anybody else. 
we can go directly to God, see Him for who He is, have a relationship with Him. Amen? And this was what Paul really wanted them to see. This was his whole thing. He was like, listen, you, you just got to listen to me, okay? Get rid of the things that are blocking you from God. Get rid of the veils. Get rid of whatever it is that separates you from God. Because I promise you, when you see it, when you see it, it's going to change you. It's going to change you. That glory of God is going to wrap you, and it's going to change you. That's his plea to them. Get rid of your veils. Get rid of your veils. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says what? That no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart can imagine what God has in store for those who love him. Right? Show us your glory, right? Show us your glory, God, your freedom, your power. You know, what's even great, what I really love about the glory of God and when you experience God is it just things that don't even seem normal, right? I mean, in the times in your life where, man, you just, you just, no way God could show up. No way something good can come out of this. He does. You know, Jim, Dr. Dennison, he was, when he ended that little uh, devotional he was, he was writing, he was talking about a pastor and his wife who were there that they worked with. And as they and their group were leaving, their son, who was coming back to the U.S. to try to work the ministry here to, to get awareness and support to help there in Cuba, got on the bus and was leaving. And Jim said, their son got on the bus with us to return to the States. He left his parents and his sister there on the street. His mother doesn't know if she will ever see her son again. But the joy on their faces and in their hearts was so overwhelming that as I watched from the bus, I had tears in my eyes. It's an indescribable joy when you get rid of all those veils that stand between you and God. When you see and experience Him for who He is and who He can be in your life, Paul said, you're not going to care about all that other stuff. You're not going to care about it. All you're going to want is more and more and more and more. I don't know about you, but that's what I want in my life. I want more and more and more. I want to experience it like they do over there in Cuba, right? Maybe like they do sometime down in Metanoia, the church down there, right? I've been down there. I saw the Spirit of God coming down. Show us your glory, God. That's what it's all about. Remove the veils from our lives. Paul says that it is guaranteed to knock your socks off. Amen? Amen. All right, let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this time, Lord. Thank you for your presence. God, thank you for this room, Lord, full of people. They're here on a Saturday night because they want to know you. Father, I pray that whatever veil may be in our lives, and I don't know everybody's story in this room, Lord, but I know that everybody has struggles and difficulties. I know there's good things and there are bad things in our lives that, that will keep us from God. And I pray, Lord, that that all of those would be gone. God, I pray that you would remove every, every barrier that stands, every veil that stands between us and God, I pray, would be gone. I pray that in this week ahead and in this very night that they would see and experience the glory of God. And I pray, Lord, that from that day, that moment forward, they'll never look back. Their lives will be changed in a way that will impact them and everybody around them for here until the day you come back. I pray all of this, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen.